0: The scripture for today's sermon is in Genesis 3, 1 through 8, and the word of God speaks to us like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. and they, shoot, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God. All right.
1: Well, my name is Chad. And it's good to be with you this morning. You you. Uh, if you've been here for any amount of time, you might be thinking like, wait, this isn't Mark. We've been in Mark for a while now. And, and that is true. What we're we're actually trying to do is, is take a, one kind of step back. There's a reason for it. And, and, and again, last week we had one of our other pastors here. He's generally downtown. And he preached through a, a passage in Mark around authority. Where does Jesus get his authority? And the people were asking this question of authority. We wanted to take a, a step here and stand in this idea of authority. The authority of God. Where does that come from? We're not really interested in, in your authority or my authority. We're talking about God's authority. And we also recognize that this is one of those, those things that culturally I think every one of us has experienced either firsthand or secondhand, uh, screwed up, messed up, painful, harmful authority. We've, we've probably all experienced on some level, there's, a, there's a, just a cultural bristling at, at the notion and even the word authority at this point. And so what we really feel like is we need to stand on what the Bible says and, and rest in it and recognize that the Bible teaches that, that God is one who holds all authority in his hands and we just need to see that that's a blessing and a gift. So that's where we're at today. That's what we want to do, and that's what we want to see, that the Bible tells a better story around authority. It it tells a better story around what we're here for, and we want to take a look at that. So I want to invite you to pray. Uh, I want to pray for you. I want you to pray for me, and that we would ask God to do something as far beyond just another religious kind of sit-down together. So, God, we need you. We ask that you would would meet us today. We ask that in your kindness and in your grace that you'd help us to see the beautiful gift that is the authority of God. Open our eyes to the areas in which we run from it. Help us to see the areas in which we're believing lies. Help us to see the areas in which we want all the good gifts without your authority over all of it. And God, help us to see that that's impossible, that those two things go together, that your goodness, your blessing, your favor, all comes through who you are as king. So God, meet us today. Help us to see these things. Help us to see our blind spots. God, go before us right now. It's in in your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning... We want to kind of take this in two ways. We're going to be anchoring out of Genesis, and, and quite honestly, I'll, I'll overview one and two a little bit, but we're, we're in this chapter three of Genesis a little bit, and then we'll kind of go to a couple of other places, and, and we'll see that, but it really does break into two parts, and, and I want you to see it like that. There's, there's a creator in his creation, and then there's a liar in his life. And we could put a plural on the lie part of it because we've all heard a lot of lies and stuff, but there's kind of a central lie that we're believing. There's a central lie that comes to us. And so our two parts today are going to be about that, this creator and his creation and this liar and his lie, how that affects us and where we get off base because all of us interact with these things all of us interact with both of them and all of us each and every one of us are going to trust one or the other we're going to to trust one or the other of these things so let's just start right here with this creator and his creation you see God God's authority is something coming from who he is it comes from, from the nature of his being. It comes from who he is. It, it cannot be separated from God as creator. It's who he is. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, right at the very beginning, the very first verse of the entire Bible starts with these four words. In the beginning, comma, God. You've heard that. We, we rushed we rush past that again and again. You have almost undoubtedly heard those words. You've seen them on some plaque or something. But just stop and think about what is being said. In the beginning, God. It's these first four words that will become uh, so central to everything. If, if we miss this point of it, like we, we get off track from the first four words of the Bible, these first four words set up something that we've got to actually catch. It will become more clear throughout the rest of this book as we go through the, the whole Bible. That gets explained more and more. But it is this loud, unavoidable claim that god is beyond that god is altogether different that god is ever present that god is all knowing and all powerful that god is unchanging that god is that god is something so beyond our understanding our thinking Later on, we're going to read uh, a stunning statement. We're going to see this statement that helps us to grasp some of what is being said right here in these first four verses. When we get into the middle of this, we get to Romans. And so you get into the New Testament, the second part of it, you get into Romans. And Romans 11 says these words. At the end of chapter 11, it says, For from him... And through him and to him are all things. I just kind of let that one wash over you. All things. From him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And I read this because it just kind of sets the, sets the table for us to recognize kind of what's going on. We have a creator that is beyond all of it. And you and I are, are in this similar spot of life where we're sitting there saying, like, God, I'm just trying to figure out how to make it through this. I, I keep messing it up again and again. I continually come back to this issue of, like, do I really believe God and who he says he is? It reminds me, I have three daughters, so I'll be here later on. I have three daughters, and I remember as a, when they were really tiny, I had this distinct picture of being at the pool, and they're in their like super inflatable suit and all the, the stuff that goes along with it. And I would be in the pool, their toes are on the edge, and it's like, hey girls, jump to me. And there, there was all the like pitter-pattering of feet and all these things. And there's something going on, right? There's, there's a moment that's happening here because I know things that they don't know. I know that there's there's so much fun to be having, having in the pool. I also know that there's danger in the pool. I know a lot of things that they didn't know at that point. They just have their toes and they think there's something happening here and they're like right there. But dad's in the water and he's saying jump to me right here in this moment. And we also have another kind of level that's happening. There's this issue of like, girls, it isn't just that you're going to have a blast if you jump to me. There's also this point of like, girls, obey. And it isn't like, man, I just want to show them. I want them to obey. We've, you may have experienced a, a father or a family in which that was mistreated or misused. There's difficult uh, pain in your life from just your family and growing up. But in this moment, I want you to think about what's actually happening when these little girls have their toes over the edge and I'm in the water or or dad's in the water saying, come here, jump to me. There's this issue of trust me. Trust me. I got you. It's more than just swimming, right? It's more than just that. It's trust me. And where we, where we break down in all of this, where we break down in seeing the authority of God, where we fall short and we're like, no, man, that feels wrong. God being authority over everything. It comes from these two places, really. It comes from missing the character and nature of who God is. He is king above everything. And it comes out of this spot in which we just stop trusting. We stop trusting God. And so as we walk through this and we see that in the beginning is this God who is unlike anything else. What you've got to recognize is that parenthetically the rest of the Bible says you're going to trust this God or you're not. This king or you're not. I want you to see where it goes from this moment. It goes from here to the very last chapter of the entire Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And it says this, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There is no other God. He is before the beginning. He is not his creation. Why? Why? Because he is the creator. The Bible tells this story that he is the creator. Where we, where we get this inverted and when we start thinking that like life and happiness and authority is found in me and my ways. That's when we start thinking that everything revolves around us. And it's a wonder that we're not all dizzy and full of vertigo because everything's spinning around us. We think it's all about us. And yet the whole story of scripture is that it is entirely centered around God. This God who is unlike anything, he is the creator. God is the beginning. God is the end. He has authority because of his nature. It's not just who he is. It's also what he does. His actions and what does this this God do? He's a giver. He's active and caring. He's not distant or or removed. He's, He's actually present in our lives. He's involved and what is that like? It's like a good father. This creator giver He's actually described as a good father throughout all of it. The entire Bible shows this God. It shows this God. And so back to that very first verse. Back to those first four verses. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. The heavens and the earth. Catch this right here. Because we're, we're, we're getting building blocks. He is the creator. And we're the creature. We're the creation in this. Later on the Bible will describe him as the potter, not the clay. <laughs> this God is the potter. And, and that means we're not. We're not. He is the author, think about that word. He is the author, not a character. He is the one writing it. We are the characters. And and so here is something so beautiful that we go flying past is that as you read chapter one, you see this refrain come up again and again. It says, And it was good. It's in the the character and nature of what God is and what God does that we see it is good. These blessings flow out of it. Again and again through chapter 1, you see it was good. When we reverse it, when we think we're the potter, when we think we're the author or by some stretch, we're the ultimate creator and we're the center of all this is when it all gets messed up. Every bit of this gets messed up. Chapter 2 gives more details around, like, the creation of man and what that looks like. It says that God shared his image. The creation, people, human beings are these image bearers of God. This God is a giver of even his image. He shares his presence. He is present with them in the garden. He, he shares his authority. Now, he, he delegates that. They don't get total authority over everything. But he shares that. He's a giver of all these good things. They have authority over this dominion. And it was good. It was good. He gives them purpose. He gives them dignity. He invents pleasure and joy. This, this good God actually gives all these good gifts. It's something that I, I have to remind myself again and again. I have to continually like write it down and remind myself, God's authority is not bad news. Because I, I, I find myself just like almost instinctively bristling at that. His nature is good. His his kindness is overwhelming. And it is all through his authority and not around it. God gives himself ultimately. But this leads us to our second point, right? This leads us right into that second point. Because if the first one is there is a creator in his creation, the second point goes that there is a liar in his lies we read that right here in chapter 3. Pick it up right here chapter 3 verse 1. Here's what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made that word crafty is important. It's like, it, it, it tells you something. It's in contrast to God's character, which is not crafty. God's character is straightforward. God's character is this giver, this creator. And then in chapter 3, we get this crafty one. God is a giver. This serpent is a taker. And what we'll see as we read through this is how that plays out. When we believe these lies, what we see is not freedom, we see bondage. We don't see joy and happiness unfolding all around us, we actually see pain. We don't see a bigger world, we see actually a smaller one in all of it. Later on, the the serpent is described as the father of lies, the accuser, the destroyer that will come out. And the the serpent's approach right here to Adam and Eve is centered around distorting God's authority. He wants to get them to question who God is. He wants them to question what God has said. He's just going to distort what they know to be true and to stop trusting God. Now, full stop, we're not just talking about Adam and Eve anymore. We're talking about the lies that you and I believe. We're talking about all the ways in which uh, I start subtly to believe these things in my head. And that during the week, I, I'll, I'll be sitting there and think some of these same things. What I want you to see is how the serpent in this passage, the crafty one in this passage, the taker in this passage actually uh, leads them through four distortions. And these, these four distortions are, are, are big for us because they're, they're really, they're like over the top of everything. And they're probably four that you have experienced and maybe are experiencing now to one degree or another. Just this week when I'm thinking about it, just this week when I'm sitting here in this, I start to recognize more and more the areas of my heart where I can sing and I can pray and I can read God's word. And yet I'm like, this week I fell for that one. This week I fell into this. And so I want you to to see that with me. Here's the first one. God's authority is presented as as more restrictive and burdensome than it really is. It's more restrictive. It's said to be more restrictive than it really is. It's like this undue burden that's put on them right here. Notice what it says as we pick it up again in verse 1. He said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Just think about that. The, the, the subtle twist that's right here. This idea that it's more restrictive. God, God really say that. Just think about the, the condition where they are. They have a whole world of yeses all around them. And one no. And how quickly it can shift to God's trying to keep you from fun. (laughs) This restriction that you're under. How quickly up becomes down. How how quickly wrong becomes right. How how quickly friend becomes foe. How how quickly the, the giver becomes the one who's trying to hold back from you. This distortion that comes out right here in it, that God's kindness is presented as cruel and withholding. Did he really say that? That God is somehow unreasonable in this, uh, to surround you with with fruit that you cannot eat. Did he really say that? You can have whatever you want to. That somehow God is anti-pleasure. That God is anti-joy? That, that God is uh, like trying to keep you from fullness? Did he really say you can't have that? And if we just pause right there, we would have to say like, where are you entertaining this same distortion? Where is it in your life that you're, you're feeling that right now? It's hard to turn on the news or to turn on uh, anything and not hear some way. like God's keeping you from this. Believing the Bible is actually restricting you from wholeness or fullness. We put it into any uh, aspect of life. We see those things. But notice where the passage goes because it doesn't just stay there. In verse 2, it says this. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And that's our second thing, right? God's authority doesn't really apply to you. God's authority doesn't apply to you or or maybe he doesn't really mean it I know he's got these big rules but maybe he doesn't really mean it maybe you'll be different no one will see no one will know no one will be hurt by this God's authority uh isn't that I just see how it's more than subtle. It, 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 it changes us. It changes our thinking. It flips everything on its head so quickly. And the second distortion is that we think that, that God's authority doesn't really apply to us. We might think that God's authority is limiting to us. But the second one is that God's authority doesn't really apply. I don't really need God's authority. That's for another time another place, another culture, another person, another situation. I don't really need any of those things. And then we get to this third one, this third kind of limiting piece, which is God's authority is is somehow limiting your potential. Like If you could just do that, man, there's no limit to who you are and what you could do. Notice what it says in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You see, God knows that, and He's withholding from you, He's limiting you. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Hey, friends, what we're reading are the words of the liar. <laughs> and honestly, what I hear in my head half the time are the words of the liar. were already like God in every way that was good and necessary for them they already had everything they needed where are you where are you feeling and being formed by this idea that God's somehow holding you back when I think he might be right in front of you saying trust me Trust me. Trust me with that situation in your life. Trust me with that fear that you're carrying. Trust me with that thing that you hope no one ever finds out about. Trust me to redeem it. Trust me to forgive you. Trust me to bring life and hope where you have lost all of it. Friends, God's not holding you back. He's not limiting you. He's actually this giver who wants to meet you in all of it. Well, it goes on. Verse 6, we see. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You see, the, the lie is taking root. It's right there. This distortion that comes out again and again. Uh, where you see, like, uh, God is, is actually holding you back. God's putting this burden on you. God, God's authority isn't for you. All those distortions kind of play out. And what we see here is this fourth way in which we're, we're being deformed is to think that, that the good life is found outside of God's authority. That they somehow start to believe that, that they will have what they're looking for. That they, they actually would get something else. That the good life is found doing their own thing apart from God's authority. And so they want God's presence and they want God's good gifts. They want all of the garden. They just don't want God's authority. And maybe it's just for a moment. Maybe it's just for a moment that they have these feelings. Maybe it's just for a moment that I close my app and get away from everything. See, they think that the good life is outside of God's authority. They start to believe it, that God's authority is the problem, that ignoring it is without consequences, that they won't have anything to do. And that they can do their own thing and go after their own ways, and that is essential for their happiness. Now, just ask yourself, where is that being just poured over you every single day? It's easy to say like, oh, media is giving us this, or social media, or, or other people in our life are saying that. Friends, like what I recognize, I'm starting to recognize in my life is it comes out of me. It comes out of me, this desire to, these lies, these are coming out of me. Because of just the culture that we live in, it's far worse. It isn't out there, it's in my own sick heart that keeps saying, I can do my own thing. I can do, I can do my own thing. But what we see right here is that they don't find freedom and they don't find happiness. Instead, they find bondage and death. They don't become bigger. In fact, they become smaller. Instead of more pleasure, everything is diminished. Everything is distorted. Instead of getting everything that they think they're going to get, what actually changes, it changes all dynamics of life. Work becomes a drudgery. It's filled with pain. What we see from this point on is that relationships become fractured. Even right here with these two, relationships become fractured. The the whole purpose and picture of marriage, we could say even right now, just looking around, gets turned on its head. Instead of being a picture of God's great love for for his people, so often marriage is just about getting our own needs met. And we start to believe we don't even need marriage; we can do our own thing. Sex without consequences. We we look around, and we fail to see the lies that we're believing. We fail to see the lies that we're believing. And the saddest thing is the saddest thing that you hear in this text is that through all of it, they didn't actually break free from the authority of God. They did their own thing. They ran their own way, but God is still God. And they didn't get what they were actually after. They traded all of it for some fake imposter. And they trusted in the wrong things trusted in the wrong things. But this isn't just their story, is it? This isn't just uh, Adam and Eve and no further. This is our story because we fall for these same lies. I fall for these same lies, and I'm guessing you do too, that we can go to church, we can read these words, we can sing these songs, and still not even recognize all the ways in which we're being formed by other things that we're being deformed from the image of God and deformed from the, the character of God and the holiness of God into thinking that God's somehow against us. And we start to believe it. Where are the areas in which you're starting to believe that God's authority does not apply to your life? where are the areas in which you're starting to believe that God's authority is limiting you? It's holding you back. Where are the areas, where are the areas in your life in which you start to believe that joy and happiness is found outside of God's authority? Where are those areas? See, friends, the, the Bible In the Bible, Adam represents all of us. It's through Adam's sin that all of us know sin. It's through this sin in which his acceptance of the lie is why we get to experience all these same things. The fallen world that we find ourselves in, the battle with trusting God's authority is on us as well. But the rest of the Bible is about God working this out. The rest of the Bible tells us it's because of his love. It's because of his love that is bringing us back into relationships with him and one another. And why? Because this God who was before everything, who will be after everything, this creator who is unlike any other, is a giver. It doesn't just leave us out there on our own. It doesn't just say, hey, do away with all of them. No, this God, this God whose character is unlike any of us, is not just taking, he's a giver. It's about God giving us Jesus and rescuing us from this bondage of sin, this bondage of these lives to, this, to sin and death. It's about God bringing us back into the enjoyment of him and who he is, this giver of all good gifts. It's not because God needs us, but because we need him, because he loves us as a good father. So you see, what the Bible talks and shows is that Jesus is the better Adam. It's through Adam's sin that all of us have experienced sin, and it's through Jesus' perfect life and sinless death that we can experience peace with God again. That's where it comes from. And 2 Corinthians tells us this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, what we're talking about is God the perfect father right before you saying, trust me. Trust me that it is in this authority of God's that you find joy. And life and opportunity and fun and delight and everything. There's no limiting factor to it. It's God standing right before us, this perfect father saying, trust me. It's God, the giver of all good things, bringing beauty from brokenness. Giving hope where there's hopelessness. Giving peace where there's war. It's God bringing those things. It's God, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's this God moving with authority and in perfect, in perfection towards you and towards me. It's God who, who blesses and brings hope, not apart from his authority, but actually through his authority. And so friends, I simply ask, where is it in your heart? Where is it in your mind? Where is it in your life where you might be entertaining these distortions? You might be entertaining these lies. Where is it that maybe they've already taken deep roots in you? Where is it that you're wrestling with the idea that God's actually trying to hold you back or limit you? Where is it where you struggle to trust God? God. And I bring this up because I need this. Because for us to be people who are following after Jesus, all of us need to stop and say I know where I'm at. I am the clay. I'm not the potter. I am the creation and not the creator. I am not the author. I'm a part of this story. But I'm not the one. I'm not the one with all authority. And I need to stop trying to act like I am. And say God, you Over the next few weeks, in March actually, we're going to start a a, a season in our community groups where we're wrestling with this very thing. We're going to have a, a, a time in our community groups where we're wrestling with the authority of God in the ways in which our world has just turned it on its head where we think that the authority of God is somehow these types of things. And we'll wrestle with it as the body of Christ in our community groups. And we're telling you about it now so that whether you're in community, we hope that you'd be a part of it and you you start thinking about it. But if you're not in one of our community groups, that you would jump in. And so in March, we're gonna start having these conversations. We're gonna start praying about it. We're gonna start looking about the ways that we have been formed and deformed by these lies. After the service, uh, Derek, some others will be back here at the community group table. Feel free to go back there and ask ask about this. Feel free to go back and ask about uh, how to get involved in a community group and what that looks like. But we don't want to just uh, say something and then walk away. We want to actually take a deep look at the ways that we're being deformed by these lies that we're believing. So I want you to pray with me.